0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 8. And I'm going to go to my uh, first, I think we've got five or so life lessons here. So number one, having seen the person of the king which is really in Matthew chapters 1 through 4, and then the principles of the king, which are the Sermon on the Mount, we just finished uh, going through Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Now we are ready for the power of the king, all right? Because in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, over the next few weeks, Matthew now records 10 miracles. We're only going to cover this morning the first two. 10 miracles. These are the credentials that prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Not just a healer, or not just a teacher, uh, or a prophet, but one who brings the supernatural presence of heaven to the earth. It also is going to show how he fulfilled prophecy, because there were many false prophets uh, that had tried to capture Israel's attention over the years. So, what makes Jesus unique? What makes him different? That's what. Matthew's going to tell us now. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, So when he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, where that's where he delivered the sermon on the mount, great multitudes followed him. So now people are, you know, just thronging around (laughs) who would not want to follow Jesus. And behold, out of all that multitude, a leper comes up out of the crowd and worships Jesus. And saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean or cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I love that. Um, so, here in the first century, this first, you know, if we go back 2,000 years ago, what were the rabbis saying? How do we know who the Messiah is? Which one is going to be the Messiah? And so he, he began to teach how uh, the rabbis would say, when the Messiah comes, he will be able to do something that's never been done before. He will be able to heal the lepers. Now, there's something actually that's written in the Talmud. I didn't know this, this was new to me. Um, so, this is in the Jewish writings of the rabbis from thousands of years ago. They asked this question How do we know when the Messiah will come? By what sign will we be able to recognize him? Answer, he is sitting among the lepers. This is the rabbi saying this. His name is the leper scholar. As it is written, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him a leper smitten of God and afflicted. And it goes on to talk about how he, the Messiah, will heal the lepers. Well, here's what's interesting. Um, There there are some stories in the Old Testament about lepers being healed miraculously by God. The story of Naaman uh, was healed, you know, as he was in the river and so forth. But for centuries, there were no miraculous healings of lepers, okay? And so with that, the, the children started asking, "Why? how come nobody is being healed of leprosy? And the rabbis started teaching, when the Messiah comes... He will heal the lepers who have this incurable disease. So that's why in this, uh, Jesus, by healing this leper, you know, it has, we don't understand the full impact it would have had to the Jewish audience. They were, oh, our rabbis have been telling us. That's incurable. Nobody, you know, that's the incurable cancer of our time. He just healed the leper. And so all of them were thinking, is he the Messiah? That's why Matthew starts with that miracle right after the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what is leprosy? Leprosy is a horrible disease. The modern name for it, I know many of you are in the medical field, the, the modern name for it is Hansen's disease. And do you know what leprosy really is? You've probably seen all the, you know, the skins turning and rotting or whatever. But what actually happens is it attacks the nervous system and it takes away all sense of feeling or sensation. You can't feel pain. Now, you know, sometimes have you ever thought it would be nice not to feel pain? That would be good. In reality, do you know that it's one of God's greatest gifts to you in your body? Do you know that that's when all of a sudden I don't feel right here in my stomach or something doesn't feel right in my head and, and you have symptoms? God allows symptoms of sensations that are like the the red lights on the dashboard of a car saying, hello, something's wrong under the hood. You need to take care of it or remove it or treat it or you will die. All right? So, you know, often you will see lepers where their ear is missing or their hand is missing and you go, how does that happen? It doesn't happen directly from the leprosy. It happens indirectly because what it means is you lose all sensation, let's say, in your fingers. You could put your hand in a fire, be leaning, you know, back somewhere in a fire, not feel a thing, and the next thing you know, you look and your whole hand has been burned off. So what's interesting is in the Bible, leprosy is used by the prophets as a window and a picture of sin. Just as leprosy, you lose the ability to feel pain or have sensation, and it ultimately leads to rotting flesh and death, so sin, we lose our sensitivity. The Bible says you can can sin so much, and to such a degree... That you, normally when you're little, at first you sin, you feel conscience, and you feel pain, you might feel sorrow, whatever, but you keep hammering, hammering, and eventually you get to where you don't feel anything. Ooh. And there are a lot of people that think, yeah, that's what I, I want to do whatever I want, feel whatever I want, go wherever I want, make up my own life, my own rules, and they push and push, and finally they do things and they don't feel any conscience about it at all. Ooh, that's not good. We have a lot of crime shows that are on TV about these mass murderers, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they talk to the guy, and there he is sitting quietly with zero emotion. Yeah, I went over here, and then I killed him, and I did this to him, and then I saw him and, you know, chopped him up and did this, and they're just kind of nonchalant. And you're like, what happened? Where's the humanity? What happened to this person? Leprosy. Sin. They can't feel. And by the way, many times they're motivated to do extreme things because they're so dead inside, they're trying to feel. It's a perverted, twisted kind of thing. So interesting, in Leviticus chapter 14, there was a law, uh, you can read it on your own, where if you get healed of leprosy, you're supposed to go and you take a bird and you sacrifice it and you pour blood and water over it and then there's, uh, and that one is really a type of Jesus who died through the water and the blood for us. And, the, and a bird in an earthen jar, which is a picture of the incarnation, you take a second bird and you put the blood and the water from the first one on it and then you set it free, which is a picture of the resurrection. Anyway, they had all these things in the society because as a leper, you could not go into the temple of God because the temple is like heaven. It represents heaven. There's no sin. There's no deformity. So lepers were ostracized from society. They were outcasts, and they couldn't enter in and worship the Lord. So if they were healed, they had to go through all of this. Well, Jesus heals a leper, and, and he would always, you remember, he would always say, go to the priests. But instead, they never seemed to obey him. They went around and told their family, "Hey, I got healed of leprosy. But he wanted them to go to the priest. Why? Because it was a priest's job to, if they verified that you were cleansed of leprosy by their own writings and teachings, were to declare this must be the Messiah. This is the one we've been telling you about. That's why Jesus was doing that. And so it's, a, it's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. So, uh, verse so there's the picture of Jesus and this poor man that he came and that he touched and cleansed and healed. And it's only the beginning of his miraculous ministry. Now, you see this in verse three in the kingdom of grace, in the kingdom, grace is given first to the outcasts. In verse three, read it Jesus put his hand and touched him. That was unlawful. It was not lawful for a Jewish person to touch leprosy. Why? Because you touch a leper, and you get leprosy. But what happened when Jesus touched the leper? Jesus didn't get leprosy. What happened? Jesus' holiness and healing touched and cured the leprosy. Can I hear a hallelujah on that? Do you realize what this means? Holiness is more powerful than sin. The glory of God consumes darkness. Darkness. The kingdom of God rules and reigns over the enemy's camp. So it's the, the gospel. Notice this. Lepers had to literally, if you're a Jewish culture and you're a leper, you can't hang around your family or friends. You had to be ostracized from them. And you, if you got near normal people, you had to cry out, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, run away. So a leper was isolated. He felt like, I can't, I'm not close to God. I, you know, I got like a picture of sin I'm walking around with. Uh, Only the leper colony, no one would ever touch them, hug them, shake their hand, have any contact. And what does Jesus do? Oh, man. I can imagine the people, thousands of them, they go, as Jesus reaches out to touch the leper. (gasps) But then a few moments later, <gasps> because the leprosy leaves. I want you to know this. The gospel touches the outcast first. In every one of our lives, you know someone who right now feels spiritually as a human being like a leper. They feel like a loser. It could be your family member. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. They feel like they're outcasts. You are now filled with the spirit of none other than Jesus. And the Jesus inside of you is moved to go out and touch the lepers, the outcasts, in the name of Jesus and in the love of God, smiling at them, welcoming them, blessing them, and coming into fellowship with them. Amen? Amen. Yes. So touch the lepers in your life. All right, let's go on to the next one. In verses 5 through 9. Beginning in verse 5, the power for healing is a manifestation of the kingdom. In verse 5, we read, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to another servant, do this, and he does it. You don't need to come personally. You just give the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, this is, this is amazing. Jesus is going to marvel at this. But first, let's start here. What is a centurion? A centurion was a, a Roman officer who had about 100 men that he oversaw. All right? Listen to this. Every centurion, every military person, every soldier in the Gospels or in the book of Acts is put in a good light in the Bible. They are seen as being honorable, with high character, and a sense of duty. Now, I know that here there are a lot of people that either are in the military or have served in the military. The Lord is saying, even though, you know, the Roman Empire, whatever, he's just looking at the individuals who had men who were faithful to them and who were responsible over them, cared for them, and, and Jesus values it. Heaven honors that kind of a life, and I think that's very powerful. Not only that, even though he was a man of power and authority, he was human. He had compassion because he had a little servant boy that was, had palsy, which is some kind of paralysis. Now, as a Roman, with whatever his pagan upbringing was, he hears about Jesus, the Jewish rabbi-prophet, healings happen, he says, Lord, and he doesn't even say, come to my house. He knows that Jewish people don't eat with Gentiles. They have different food. It's non-kosher. They don't don't share in that way. He says, it's okay. You don't need to come to my house. I know you're a man of authority. You, Jesus, are under the authority of your father. Wherever Jesus went, he said, I go where the Father tells me to go. I say what the Father tells me to say. I do what the Father tells me to do. If one day it's to speak and preach to masses of people, like the Sermon on the Mount, I do that. Another day I wake up, Daddy, where do we go today? Today, son, you go to Samaria. I have one project for you. Talk to a woman at the well. No problem, Daddy. I'm on my way. Jesus was submitted under his father. And so therefore, he had delegated power and authority that was given. And this centurion recognized that. It's interesting that two times Jesus healed Gentiles in the Bible. This Gentile uh, and then the Syro- Syrophoenician woman. And in both cases, Jesus was impressed with their great faith. And not only that, in both cases, miracles of the Gentiles healed by Jesus, they were healed at a distance. What I think is interesting is that may be an early indication that in Jesus' ministry, in the beginning, there would be a lot of Gentiles who would follow him and believe him, uh, even sometimes with greater faith than those of his own family. So it's very interesting. Now, I want to go to Luke chapter 10, a very interesting scripture. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay? Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm giving you authority and you power. What is authority? The Greek word, exousia, um, which means force, capacity, ability, strength, Uh, with which one is endued, which you can either possess it or you can exercise it. Now we're not talking about Jesus, we're talking about the followers of Jesus, you and I. He's giving to you authority, delegated authority, but his authority. Number two, the word power, the Greek word is dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. dunamis. Dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite from. Explosive power. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you my power, my authority, and my power. You don't need to be afraid because I have overcome the evil one. And you, therefore, can go in my delegated power and authority and for my kingdom and for my glory. Amen? Amen. All right. Two of the keys of healing are power and authority. That's in verses 10 through 13. So let's read verses 10 through 13. I'll get it right here in just a second. Okay, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, "'Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness.'" In those days, many believed that I'm Jewish, I'm the chosen, you know, we're the chosen people. Therefore, just by being born, I've already already got it made. And that's why Jesus had to come to Nicodemus and say, no, it doesn't mean automatically you have it made. You must be born what? Again. Born first of the flesh and then born again of the Spirit. Then salvation comes. Then the power of the Holy Spirit. Because without being born again, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ... We cannot follow the laws of God. We cannot live a righteous or a holy life only by the power of the Holy Spirit. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour at a distance. So the Lord is saying, I'm giving you power, and I'm giving you authority, and I'm giving you my presence and my glory, and we're to love one another and pray for one another. Now, I want to go to the last uh, lesson here. There's Luke 19 again, which we read. Okay, the power and authority come from being seated in Christ Jesus, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Let's read this out loud together. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, think about this. Um, And I want to show you some pictures just to be thinking about, because before I close, I want to bring this one more point home to you. God is, and and I want to kind of lay a foundation here this morning for over the next few weeks where we're going to be going and what God is going to be doing, because we're moving, you know. I'm in a new place, and um, so some months ago when the Lord said, son, I, you know, yes, it's good, you're, uh, you know, having communion, and he says, I want you to start praying for people, and I will begin healing people. And not just you, you know, like one guy that's got the gift of healing, and a mass has come to one guy, but, uh, but we've been incorporating you by your prayers, by your faith. It's a collective outpouring And miracles are happening. Again, I got two more stories this morning from first service of a miracle healing, diagnosed, uh, it was going to be bad, some kind of cancer thing, gone. Gone. Hello, bye. And a deliverance of a young boy uh, who was hearing voices, uh, you know, with a name with a man's voice telling him to kill animals and kill his parents. And the kids just say, man, you know, and panic and whatever. And then so prayer, and in the name of Jesus, confronting and rebuking. And then same boy says to his mom, hey, Jesus came to me, told me I'm not going to be hearing the voices no more. Hello. And so, you know, so we've been doing that. And God's been touching and healing people. And then he's, now he's saying fast. And so we're building momentum. And, you know, I gave you the word for the year that God gave me is fire. Okay? So, man, he's, I'm getting, are you guys feeling anything stirred up? I don't want to be alone. I, and so, and then another, I shared about how the Lord said, you know, I heard this knocking. And I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Like I'm crazy or something, but... <laughs> But other people are saying I'm hearing it too. Then I find out it's been happening to various believers around the world. I think that God is coming. I think that God is knocking. I think God is moving, and something is happening. And there's something that is stirring. And now that we're going to pray and fast, here's what I'm here. Is what I heard from the Lord is we're getting ready for this new, you know, for this year, which I think is so huge, in Jerusalem, and the 70th anniversary, and all of that. And God came to me. And he said, son, you know, keep, keep following me. Keep listening to me. Uh, he, he's in, <laughs> that's so funny. He goes, I am coming down with my power. He goes, dude, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> I know some of you are going to say, God calls you dude. <laughs> y- yes, in my head, that's what he calls me. Dude! You have no idea what I am about to do. But it's not just here, one church, you know, having a big, you know, growing or becoming mega or whatever. It is a sovereign. God is stirring in unique and different ways the body of Christ in every country around the world. There has never been a time of severe persecution against Christians as it's happening in some countries right now. And yet, there has never been such an explosion. I I had a lady from uh, the Good Church from Iran, a couple, and they're coming up to me with all the stuff you've heard of Iran, and there's marching. The young people are marching in the streets because the government's spending all this money to blow people up, and then the people are starving back home, and they're going, "What are you doing to us?" And the people don't know what to do. So in their history, they have this—you know—their one hero is Cyrus when when Persia was great and the world as a world ruler and they don't know where to go or what to do so some of the iranians they told me this last night they're praying to cyrus cyrus where are you help us give us you know lead us give us wisdom they're praying to cyrus guess what cyrus was spoken to by god in the bible before his name is in the Bible. And, some, and a prophet brought the, the prophets, of uh, the Jewish rabbis, and they said, Cyrus, God named you 150 years before you were born, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and you're supposed to help the Jews be let go. 70 years are up. Help us go home and build our temple in preparation for the coming of the glory of God. So let me, I'm just saying dudes and dudettes, God is on the move. Now, we are, so where does this power and authority come from? We're seated in Christ in heavenly places. Let's see if I got another one. So, you know, what I'm saying is, um, how am I doing? I got, a, I got a, two minutes. Okay. Our government, you know, like on TV right now, there's all these shows about kingdoms There's one called the crown. We're fascinated as a culture with, you know, we came out of England, so our roots way back, our parents, grandparents going way back, they had kingdoms, crowns, princes, princess. And it's kind of cool. You know, on the one hand, I'm glad that we're free. We got a democracy and we got all the benefits of that, but... Kind of miss, you know, there's something about royalty. And in heaven, thank God, there's no democracy, and there's no parties, and there's no voting. You never have to vote again when you get to heaven. Hallelujah. There's one king. It's a kingdom. But all of these things, well, listen, the Bible says that you are in two places at one time. Not only are you sitting here in a pew at a church at Maranatha Chapel in San Diego, but simultaneously in the Spirit, you are somewhere else. Did you know in the Spirit you can be two places at the same time? Where you also are, you are in, this is what Paul reveals, it's a mystery. You are in Christ Jesus. Where's Jesus? He he's not here physically. He's here in spirit, but he's in heaven. Where? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's waiting that the nations be made his footstool and for his Father to send him. What is Jesus doing? He's praying and interceding for you. Where is Jesus interceding for you? And me? He's sitting on what? He's sitting on a throne. What was written above his head? The king. The king of the Jews, and through them all who would believe in him. I am telling you, he is king of kings, he is lord of lords, and he is sitting on a throne, and on that throne that he earned. By his obedience, his submission to the Father, by his blood, by his sacrifice, by his pure life, his perfect life, he showed us the way, the truth, and the life, he sits on the throne. And, and this is what God the Father said. Because of what my son did, he showed something about me that the angels had never seen before, the world, the universe had never seen before. Jesus revealed me. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. And he's given all judgment to the Son who became the human being and is even now a resurrected human being in a resurrected glorified body. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh, and He is sitting on a throne. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is moving around the world. The world is getting shaken It is being shaken by heaven. It's being shaken by the Word of God. It's being shaken by the prophets of God. He is shaking kings. He is shaking kingdoms. It is harvest time. We are the laborers, and the harvest is all around us now. We're to gather it up, because soon and very soon, the harvest will be done, and the kingdom will come. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be—so what I'm saying is— over the next few weeks, I want you to be able to come, you know, regularly, uh, because we're going to start downloading. What does that mean? I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. It means you and I have power, delegated power, authority, delegated authority, that we have not yet begun to exercise. And when we do, fire's going to come. Amen? Amen.